0: This week, we look at a very famous mountain, Mount Sinai, as we take a look at Mountains of the Bible. And Mount Sinai is famous for the giving of the law, but also a place where Moses met God in the burning bush. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, April 10th,
1: 2016. With you, dear Lord, be silent. So...
0: the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was beautiful. Nice work. Thanks. I feel like we should just play that twice and call it a service. That was wonderful. That was, that was fantastic. Uh, uh, the, uh, we're, we're talking about mountains of the Bible, and the, the last time that we touched on, we, we were covering uh, the Mount Moriah, which was a significant mountain that you probably have never heard of. So Mount Moriah, as you may remember, is significant for a number of reasons. One is along that range, but it seems to be that very mountain that God called Abraham and told him to make a sacrifice. Now, this is probably one of the most terrifying stories I think there are, uh, there is in scripture for a lot of reasons, but the most particular reason is that we love our family and we love God. And here's this situation where Moses, it's not like Moses is being, uh, sorry, Abraham, I mix him up all the time, but um, Abraham is defying God. Instead, he is honoring God. He's loving God. And God says to him, here's what I want you to do I want you to sacrifice something. Now, sacrifices are, it's, it's not, su- I'm not saying it's easy, but if, if you see something is to your detriment, it's probably not terribly difficult to recognize you should be giving that up, right? If you're like trying to get on a diet or something and you say, okay, I need to give up cheesecake or something like that, or you know, okay, I'm, I'm getting into debt I'm, or spending more than I should. I want to give up buying things because you say this is for my general good, right? You make those kind of decisions. So I think that's not so bad. It's probably even easier to make decisions in relationships. When you see what God asks and you have this desire to have good relationships, God says, hey, I want you to give certain things up. And some of those things include when you get married, you stop dating other people, right? And that makes sense. You go, okay, that that makes sense because that helps because I want the other person to do the same thing. That makes sense. Or maybe some of you, uh, for once you had kids, you had a really active hobby, Maybe it's photography or exercise or endurance stuff. And then once you got married and you have kids, you kind of give those things up. Has anyone ever done that? One of the more competitive things, <laughs> someone who's never been married raised his hand. Way to give that up. Gave a Pokemon for the sake of, sake of turning a teenager. Way to go. So the, um, the, that's probably not so hard. When you see this is for the good of a relationship, that makes some sense. And probably the most competitive group of people, not the fastest in like endurance sports, is actually about age 50, 45, 50, because now their kids are kind of moving out of the house. And they're, maybe they're around 50s, they're, they're gone. And now they have time and they got money to go to these races. And they have time to spend, like on their bikes and stuff, so they're actually faster. So this is one of the more competitive times. But, but we see, you have kids, you got to give things up, right? The harder ones, you know, it's one thing to give something up for the sake of my kids. What if God said, I want you to give up your kids? How do you do that? And that's what we struggled with last week. How in the world does Abraham step forward and go up this mountain where God is saying, I want you to sacrifice your son, where God's promise is on one side, and, you know, Abraham's trying to work this out. You you just can't do it. If you're just trying to make and have a good relationship with God, it's not worth it. If you had a boss who said, okay, here's the deal. I've got a great job for you. You just have to give up your son or daughter. You'd probably say no. You should say no, right? You're like, that. not worth it. Here's what the Bible, a little bit of insight in the faith that Abraham had. Abraham reasoned. This is from Hebrews chapter 11, and it talks a little bit earlier about this big struggle that Abraham would have had. Abraham, God has called him to sacrifice his son, but there's this promise from God that says the world is going to be blessed from that very son. So he's like, what do I do? It says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. So Abraham just goes, you know what? I don't necessarily get it, but I'm going to trust that in this situation, God makes sense. And I think that's the only way you can give up the things that God asks you. When you look at the laws and the things that God has called you to do, the life that God has given you, the time he asks you to give up, or money or sins that you think are perfectly fine, you have to trust that if I give this up, God understands in a bigger picture that this is better for me, it's better for relationships, and it's better for our relationship here. So now speed ahead. 500 years. Abraham has a son, um, Isaac, and then Isaac has a son, Jacob, and then Jacob has his son, Joseph. So Abraham's nation, God made a promise to him and said, hey, I'm going to make you into this great nation. And God has already kind of done that. So he starts with three boys, and uh, him, Isaac, and then Ishmael. Ishmael had moved away. So now Jacob, this you know, great moving on the line, has a son, Joseph, and Joseph is sold. Who is he sold to? Do you remember? Ishmaelites. So he's actually sold to one of his relatives. They get to Egypt, and we, we've touched on this before. Speed all the way ahead. Imagine you're an Israelite person. The, you know, the t- tide has turned. They forget who Joseph is. This is a 400-year period. So they forget who Joseph is, and now they, the situation is not very good. Every single Israelite is a bricklayer. Now, I'm not saying bricklaying is bad. Most people who lay bricks do it on purpose, right? They do, right? There's a fascinating story. Well, okay, I'll quick tell you. I, I used to deliver lumber, and a guy who, who uh, he couldn't, he had to tell somebody because he drove like this beat-up masonry truck. It was like this kind of milk-looking truck, and it looked so dumb. It looked like it could barely run. And he goes, I got to tell you something. And I'm just the lumber guy. I'm like, what's up? And he goes, I make over $100,000 a year, but if I drove a big dually truck, I wouldn't make $100,000 a year because people wouldn't give me jobs. <laughs> so that, that's his secret. Yeah. That makes sense, right? That's probably, <laughs> Joe Joe likes that strategy. I, I'm thinking you have the same strategy, Joe. You were in construction work. Um, that's why I drive a minivan, just so you know. No one ever give me a Christmas present if I drove a decent vehicle, but if I drive... No, that's not where it's. so... So you can imagine, have you ever done those aptitude tests like when you're in high school and they say like what you should be? And they say like your personality and they say what kind of job you should have. Maybe you sat down in your counselor's office and it's totally awkward and you fill out this thing and it says here's some things you should be. My mom did that actually and they said she should be a funeral director. I don't know what you have to check to get that situation, but... <laughs> she actually would be pretty good at it, but the... Um, so you do these aptitude tests. Imagine you go through like this whole process, and you have these dreams, and you watch the Disney movies, and you're all excited, and you go through this process, and they say, "Okay, what skills do you have?" And you like people, yeah, and you like to work with numbers, um, and you, you go through all these things, and they go, "Oh yeah, and you're an Israelite." Oh, never mind, you're a bricklayer. That is the situation they're in. They're just like doing projects for Pharaoh, and God appears, as we said, to Moses on a special mountain, and He makes a promise. He appears to him on this, what is known as Mount Horeb, or Sinai, Mount Sinai, and he says, here's the promise. You, as an 80-year-old man, are going to go bring my nation all the way back to here, and here's what's going to happen. You are going to worship on this mountain. And then you heard Moses' excuses, but we're not going to get into those. So here was God's plan. He says, I'm going to send 10 plagues. Uh, Here's a picture of Mount Sinai, if you've ever seen it. it. There's a couple possibilities for Mount Sinai, and I'll talk about those just briefly, So here's the traditional site of Mount Sinai. If you go there, and I would love to go there, there's a, I think it's St. Catherine, there's a monastery on the top of it that you can go to that's somewhat, I think about the effort involved because this is like 7,500 feet. So it's the middle of the desert and then you go up this big mountain. Here's the the view from the top. And then the 10 plagues, I'll touch on that a little bit later. So the 10 plagues, God says, here's the deal, Moses, you're going to do these things to try and break Pharaoh's will so that he is ready to get rid of my people. Now, most of these you might even know. Um, If you've never seen any of these, you just have to move to Australia because that's where they all happen. (laughs) Just do it once. Just Google like rat plague and it's like Australia, Um, snake plague, Australia, locusts, Australia, rodents, Australia. Um, But water to blood and then the frogs came. That happens in Australia too. Um, Gnats, flies, and we get all the way to the one. The one I want to touch on is way at the end. At that time, and I don't know how Pharaoh, I mean, talk about a weird aptitude test, but Pharaoh, in his mind and in the people's mind, was a god. He, he was a real god, and they worshipped him as a god. And then his son, naturally, would be a god. So this is the, the last plague that God brings to them is, who's stronger, me or you? And God says that, I'm going to send the angel of death. And the firstborn child is going to be killed in all the land, including your God Pharaoh. Now there's connections with some of their other gods. They worship the Nile and he turns the wild in the blood. So all this is happening, and finally that plague happens. And the people are utterly crushed. And the the Egyptians say, Okay, go. It says they, they, they were giving him money. They're saying, just leave. Every one of us, I think, have been in a spot where you've lost. Have you ever lost at something so soundly that you just like, I didn't have a chance. I I don't have a chance. I've told you this story. I played tennis in college. That sounds really like a big deal. It's not. Uh, The college was not very big, and I was three doubles my entire tennis career, all the way from high school through college. But we played against a guy's name a German. A German guy's name was Klaus. I remember it. Have I told you this? So. All I had was a big serve and doubles. So I'd just come in and I'd hammer this serve and then we'd run to the net and just knock it in. That was our job. It was like the points were done in three seconds. Like, done, done. So we play against Klaus and usually we cleaned house because at Division Three there are not a lot of tennis players. And so my record all time with Marty Valeski, he's a pastor, was like, we were probably like 20 and 3. The other guys, they had to play real players we played like the guys who wanted to stay in shape for basketball or something. So it was not a super, not, the bar was not real high. He played soccer, I was a football guy. So anyway, we're going against this Klaus guy and I'm like, this guy's pretty good, Marty. He was a foreign exchange student. And so I drill, I, I mean, I drill a serve that's pretty fast. Like it's probably, it's probably as fast as female professional players because you're, I mean, I got more leverage and things like, not like the guys, they're 130 plus miles an hour. So I drill one and this is what Klaus does, it was long, And he takes his racket, and he matches the speed, so it scoops it, so it never even bounces. So imagine this, that that would be like this. So here's the ball, and it goes like this. He catches it like this, it never even bounced, and he flings it back to us. We said, (laughs) We were so done, and we lost 60 60, and he was the nicest guy ever. We didn't, we didn't have a single chance, like, oh my gosh, I 've never even seen a player like that in person. He 's somehow playing three doubles. I don 't know what the deal was. but anyway, we were so soundly beaten, we were just hoping to like, leave without anyone noticing, like, let's just get this done with. You've been soundly beaten, right? You've been beaten at work, you've been beaten. well, defeated. That sounds better. You've been defeated at school, you've been defeated in jobs and all these other things. Pharaoh just got smoked, and it does not feel very good. And I think that night he probably said, I am on my knees, and I am crushed. I give up. Let me ask you a word problem. I'm due to paint the inside of my house. It would probably take me about three days to paint the inside of my house. I'm making stuff up at this point. And you're probably better at it, so you can do it like two and a half days, and you don't own the carpeting, so you do it even probably two days. You you just whip away. This works out pretty well. You don't have to look at the lines or anything. How long would it take if we're working together to paint my house and I work for four hours, and then I just sit down and do nothing. Some of you are actually trying to figure this out. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. And the reason I bring that up is just imagine Pharaoh has all these projects as um, honoring him as God. He would have had, like, probably working on his tomb, working on the city, and, and the suddenly two million people leave that are working on your project. He doesn't like it. And so he rounds up all his chariots and he chases them down there. There's two possibilities where he goes. Um, the one possibility, this is the non-traditional view. Mount Sinai is right around in here. And this is the non-traditional view which you can read about. There's a guy named uh, Ron Wyatt, I think his name is. Somehow, <laughs> he's a nutbag, but um, this is a possibility. Ron Wyatt is the guy who says he's discovered Noah's Ark plus the original Mount Sinai, plus he's discovered, I mean, there's like, 50 things that are not possible. He's like Indiana Jones on steroids. It's not going to... I think he makes stuff up. So, but anyway, there's two possibilities. They cross over and they face into the sea and they're thinking like, what do we do? And that's where God delivers them. The moment of deliverance for all of Israel. If you have ever been to a Seder supper, if you've ever heard of the Passover, if you've ever talked to a Jewish person and they talk about a moment of deliverance, just like we remember Jesus' death on the cross they remembered this moment where against the wall and God's enemies, he splits the Red Sea and they cross over onto dry land and they make their way all the way to a mountain. And this is their story. Then Moses goes up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. So they're all on the base of this mountain. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And you can imagine, but what's what's different about this than what God said to Abraham? Did you notice anything? Anything. God said to Abraham, you are going to be a great nation. God said to Abraham, your son, from your line, the world is going to be blessed. They're already a great nation. They have two million people, we estimate. That's a lot of people. And now God says, you are Israel, here's the deal. This is going to be good. This is going to be great. If. If you do this. That's a way bigger difference than an unconditional promise that says here's the deal, right? It's a huge deal. So you have an unconditional promise is the relationship you have with just about everybody in your whole life, except like family and friends. But work, you have a deal, right? None of you work for free that I know of. Might feel like that sometimes, but you generally do not work for free. And most of you do not have, you have this relationship with the stuff you purchase, right? You purchase it with the expectation it's gonna work. So uh, Amazon has a great return policy, you send it back. You have broken my relationship. I have this relationship with my dishwasher. So we're getting a new dishwasher. It was a fine dishwasher. Did great. We didn't name it or anything like that, but then it didn't drain properly. Getting older, you know. And then I checked all the normal things to fix, and it's not fixing, and the gaskets are peeling away, and I said, you know, you've, you've done well, so I'm going to order a dishwasher online. Saved $250, but it takes 19 days to get here, apparently. I could have chosen better. So... That's the relationship, though. As long as you work for me, we're good. Do you have that relationship with your kids? Like, I will love and protect you as long as... Is that the relationship you have with your kids? Like, a perpetrator comes in, and you're like, hey, stand back. Hey, Owen, wait, wait, wait. did you clean your room today? You know, like, can you imagine that? Like, that, that is not the relationship we have with our kids. You, you don't do that. God, up until this point, said, you are my people, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and everything is great, but now they have this conditional relationship which changes things quite a bit. Which changes things quite a bit because on this mountain, the most significant thing that happens is commands. So now they go, okay, God just delivered us. Sorry. God just delivered us. So all the people, Moses said, here's the deal. God is going to make us great. We're going to go to this land of milk and honey. This, we're not going to sit here at this hill and he's going to bless us and he's going to love us and everything's going to be great. This is the deal. All you have to do, is honor and serve him. What are you going to say as a people, like backed up to a mountain? Let's do, I want to read the fine print. No, you don't say that. All the people respond together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. There to be stoned or shot with arrows, not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds and a long blast may approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. Okay, now just put yourself back in time. You just made this agreement, okay, God? We got it. We're good. Um, we're going to do whatever you say. And then God says this. Does this make sense? I mean, really, does it? <laughs> does that make sense to any of you? Is this stuff you would come up with? Is it? Is, is anyone here? This is the stuff you come. Okay, if I'm married, I can't have sexual relations. And if we touch the mountain, we're supposed to kill our friend or our dog. You know, your dog runs away and you got to kill it. Like, does this make sense? How many of things, if you've ever been part, part of an organization that has rules, you're going to run into rules that don't make sense. I've already shared rules that I don't think make sense, Ikea. <clears throat> you know, there, but there's rules that you would think don't make sense, right? You work for someone, you're like, I don't think that makes sense. Do you still do it? So now the people are at this like, impasse where God has come to them and said, here's the, what I want you to do. Don't do any of these things. And I wonder how often they're saying, like, why? Like, why would I bother to follow these rules? And how many of the two million people do you think did them, and how many do you think did not? So now, now that day has come, you just decide. Do you want to be the person who did the stuff or not do the stuff? You decide in your head. So now imagine this holy day comes. And I don't blame people for questioning laws of God it's a little bit different angle than we talked about last week. Like, are you willing to give something up trusting that God says that this is good? There's a whole lot of laws that are going to come down from the people and how many do you think they said, why? Do not cook a goat in its mother's milk. Okay? Uh, God says, do not like mix yarn, like the different, different materials. Okay? Don't eat shellfish. Okay? How many laws of the 613 do you think the people are like, how many? I mean, don't kill people. I agree with that. That makes sense. Don't steal. That makes sense. Don't have an affair. Okay, I got it. Um, you shall have no other gods. And I wonder if they think, well, does that make sense? I think in our life, every single one of us at some point gets to a point where we look at God's laws and there's certain laws we think life would be easier if this law wasn't there. Wouldn't it? A little kid might think, man, life's easier if I could just lie a little bit so then i get out of trouble. You might be thinking life would be easier if I didn't have to uh, be honest at work all the time, life would be easier. Life would be easier if I didn't have to forgive people, wouldn't it? God says, it got, wouldn't life be easier if God said, love most people? I think it would be. I mean, I think it'd be a lot easier because most of us, when we talk about forgiveness, we're like, yeah, no problem, no problem, except for Carl. There's no Carls here, Right? Okay, right? I didn't try and do. except for Klaus. No, no, in honor of Klaus, I named my car after him. That's not true. But, um, so every one of us has a law that you get to, and you say, I don't I want to do it. When God says, I want you to come and worship me regularly, life is easier if you don't. Every single one of us has a certain law, and the Israelite people would have had that law, and it makes sense. And we feel like, you know, God, you can handle a little bit of dirt. I'm going to go up and see you anyway, and everything is going to be good, and then this happens on the morning of the third day, remember, are you the person who followed God's laws up to this point or not? There was thunder and lightning in a thick cloud over the mountain. And the very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp is trembling. You're at the base of this mountain. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. They stand at the foot of the mountain, remember, if they step, step over, they die. Mount Sinai is covered with smoke. Because the Lord descended on it with fire and the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembles violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And Moses spoke with the voice of God answered him. Could you imagine being there? It's terrifying enough when you honor and serve God. But just imagine if you're the one, as you're bowing down and you're at this situation and you go, I didn't abstain like God asked me to do. You know, everyone's got an idea about putting themselves in the place of God, about which laws make sense and which rules don't. Because anytime you sin, you ultimately are making that decision. Anytime you do anything, you're saying, God, you know what, my idea is actually better than your idea. My idea of how I should live my life is better than your idea anytime you do anything outside of God's laws. But there's going to be a moment. And it's a moment that people don't talk about too often in preaching today. But there's a moment where you stand before a holy God who makes a mountain tremble with his holiness and you stand before your knees and you get a choice. Your choice is, God, I want to go with my own rules or, God, I want to go with your rules. And you can imagine this mountain trembling and the people utterly terrified. It's easy to do things that you don't want to do. I had a situation where I worked a girl had not told him the truth. And I caught her in the lie. And I asked her about the lie. Do you know what her hand was doing? It was trembling. What are you going to do as you stand before God? What is going to be your excuse when you say, God, this is why I felt I should be uh, adulterous? What are you going to do as you stand before God and you said this is the reason why I've hoarded my money with greed? What are you going to do as you stand before God and you say, this is why I think your rules aren't big enough This is why I went with my own rules. You know, you can do that all you want when no one's looking, but suddenly you're standing before a holy God who says, this is what I expect. You got two options. You say, God, I'm going with what I did, or you say, fall on my knees, and I am so sorry. It's an awesome story that they went to Mount Sinai because the plague that moved them out of Israel, the play that got them out of the Egyptian area was God said, you must sacrifice a lamb. And isn't it an awesome story that God says, mine is the lamb who's going to go forward? Isn't it an awesome story as we stand before a trembling God, we don't have to be afraid. And there's going to be a moment, there's going to be a moment because what Jesus has done and because he's cleansed us and forgiven us, that we don't have to fear. We can honor God and we can love God and we can fear him in a good sense and be in awe, but we don't have to be afraid that he is going to obliterate us because he obliterated his son we don't have to be afraid that he is going to destroy us and stone us and kill us because he killed his son we don't have to be afraid because when we take these sins that we've so buried confronted by god and we lay them on him he doesn't throw them back at us he says those sins are gone and there's going to be a moment where we're not sitting at this foot of this mountain utterly terrified but there's a moment when we're in heaven And we hear every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. There's going to be a moment where you get a choice and you say, God, I'm going to go with the way I've lived and my own rules, or God, I want to go with you. And on that day, I'm going with God. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we... When we look at your power and your awe, it's easy to forget about it. It's easy to go about our own business. It's easy to harbor sinfulness. But then suddenly, there is going to be a day when we face your judgment. The people of Israel saw that firsthand to see your power and your holiness, and they trembled with fear. Each one of us has things that we've hidden from you. We want to lay those bare before you knowing that we are not going to be obliterated, but because you have taken out the judgment on your son that there's forgiveness that is offered to us. And we don't have to be uh, running and hiding, but instead we can stand up because our sins are gone and we can stand in your presence, not as a, in a fearful, afraid, but we can stand in your presence, fear and awe of the forgiveness that you brought through Jesus. Help us to now live empowered to push all those sins out of our life and not make excuses for the rules we think don't make sense. Instead, let's just trust you that what you say makes sense and that you have a greater vision for us as we serve and
1: love you here. We ask this in your name. Amen.